Welcome to episode number 34 of the Circles Off podcast, our second podcast of the week and in some new digs as we prepare to eventually make this a vodcast. So it's our new studio. We're testing it out. Testing, pretty, testing. Pretty sweet so far. Joined by Johnny, as you can, uh, as you just heard. Johnny, how's it going? Pretty good, Rob. Uh, this is actually our first podcast ever recording in person, face-to-face. We, uh, we purchased all the equipment, and here we are. We previously recorded, um, you know, just on online, get the guest, conference everybody in and record. So, uh, I mean, from what I can hear in the headphones, audio quality sounds great, but uh, we'll see how it ends up turning out. I'm pretty excited. Um, for those that don't know me well, I come from a media background. I dropped out of university to work at a radio station as a producer, eventually became an on-air personality there. Um, so this brings back memories and I have like all sorts of content ideas that are running through my brain right now, which we'll hopefully be able to, to work into, uh, things down the road here. Uh, maybe some second screen experiences during live games, things of that nature, but, uh, I'm pretty excited. And, um, it's been a while since we've done like an educational content podcast. That's what this one's going to be this week or the second one this week, I should say. So no guest. But the topics kind of came to me, or at least one of them came to me rather easily watching Monday Night Football this past week, which was a shit show of a game. Bills and Patriots. Bills, Patriots, the snowball, the, the uh, essentially a win game where Mac Jones effectively could have been replaced by almost anyone who's ever played quarterback in any level of football because he didn't throw the ball much. He just handed it off took snaps, handed it off, and that was it, and then I had to do a couple of kneel downs. Um, but yeah, crazy game. We're going to break down kind of, um, and again, it's one game, so we don't want to make this podcast about breaking down a single game. That's not the point of circles off, but uh, we do feel, both Rob and I from talking about this game, that there's so many different things that happen, whether it be the line movement before the game, the reaction to weather, different things that happen in-game that are very uh, re-applicable to different games that are going to come in the future, right? Whether it be NFL or even other sports or anything like that. So we wanted to break that down for everyone um, and then hopefully get into maybe some other topics uh, surrounding the NFL. Uh, but for now, Rob, how was the week? It's been pretty good. I mean, I'm killing NFL right now, which is if you had told me like four years ago, you're going to slowly your edge in the NHL is going to corrode over time and become basically close to coin flip. And you're going to have a very successful NFL for the next three or four years. I probably would have laughed in your face. Cause at that point, NHL was just so easy to beat. And now it's with, with what's going on with COVID and the amount of news that comes in on a daily basis. Uh, plus just the way that the game has evolved, it's harder. And the NFL just seems, I, I don't know. I mean, it could just be positive variance. You, you never know. Cause like, honestly, I'm betting like seven, eight plays a week. So it's not like it's anything crazy, but from that point of view, it's going well. I feel like I'm, I'm as confident as I've ever been in the NFL, which is nice. Sounds like a bad spot to be in <laughs> right, right now. As confident as I've ever been in the NFL. Uh, but no, I obviously wish you continued success. And like you said, it's a tough spot tough market to beat, but there are ways to beat it, you know, based on the timing of bets and the ways to get down and things like that. So we've talked about it on this podcast before, you know, the NFL being the hardest to beat, um, you know, mainly on Sundays. And I know Rob is not um, necessarily locking in his bets, um, you know, right before the game time. Um, but also wanted to mention you're on the uh, matchbook betting exchange podcast. 
the record hasn't been too good on that one. It has not. That's cumulative. So it's between myself, Drew, and Suma. I'm not here to throw anyone under the bus. Drew would readily admit he's not having a good football season. That's part of the reason that it is. Um, The record is what it is. We've been tracking it in the media picks under Betstamp. We track everything as an equal size play because we're not giving out unit sizes. But I will say, this is the tout, like the former tout in me that is going to tout the best bets on that show this year have actually been really good. I don't have the record offhand, like in front of me, but it's something close to 70, 75% in terms of the best bets. Now we cover a variety of games. We give out other bets uh, and it's the ROI is negative for sure. Uh, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot of contributing factors to that. Yeah. Also this week, sad news. Uh, you had Tommy Fury pull out of the fight with Jake Paul, <laughs> which was a, uh, you know, a bummer because uh, it was going to be a fun one to watch. And I de- definitely thought there was some value there on Jake Paul. These fights, as we've talked about before, it's, there's nothing like it because it's never happened before, you know, outside of like three, four events that were all years apart never happened before we had like an influencer come in and then get so little respect and then have like a transfer of opinions but even in this current fight like you know obviously uh, for those who don't know Tyron Woodley is stepping in again to face Jake Paul it'll be a rematch immediate rematch and like the line hasn't shifted much from where it was I mean I mean it has but you know closing anywhere in the range of minus 150 to minus 170 last time um, and now you're up to you know, the range of minus 230 to minus 250. Not a significant change for someone who won, uh, albeit via decision. But uh, it's crazy because these events, like these boxing matches, which are, for lack of a better word, a lot of people call them gimmicks, Mm -hmm. are actually the highest bet on boxing matches of the year. Take the most money. Like Jake Paul versus Tyron Woodley last time, Books were taking significantly more money than they were taking on Wilder versus Fury 3 heavyweight championship of the world, which is nuts. So I'm excited to watch this one again. Uh, you know, hopefully we'll be, uh, you know, finding some good bets on this one as well. What do you, what do you think, Rob? Yeah, obviously, listen, I'm, uh, I'm not a big boxing fan. I've, I'm a bigger MMA guy, but not even close to where I was, you know, a handful of years ago. But I will say like gimmicky or not, they generate a lot of interest from just a casual better. Like I'll pull up a stream and watch the fight. It's going to happen regardless. And I'm probably not going to do it without any money down. And that's the case for, you know, a lot of people that the, the biggest boxing matches tend to not generate that much handle or that handle compared to these quote unquote gimmicky matches, because there's just not the interest from the casual better. Uh, and when you bring in, media person, not necessarily media personalities, but like YouTube personalities, people who have big followings, former MMA fighters that people know a lot better. Uh, I think it, it just creates like this bettable event. Uh, and I think it's good for the sport as much as like a boxing purist will, will rag on it. But uh, I have no opinion. Like I'm basically going to crowdsource information like I do for every single one of these fights, try to figure out what I think is a valuable bet by asking other people who you know, who are betting this stuff and think that they have a valuable bet and I'll just be willing to tail it because I'm not betting life-changing amounts of money and I want some sort of rooting interest. Well, we will ride Jake Paul again, December 19th. There you go. So like that, I'm going to be on the Jake Paul train and I'm going to be on the Lewis Hamilton train coming up against, well, I don't know that I will. I actually checked the odds this week and I mean, uh, you probably, probably Max Verstappen is a good bet. 
So if, I like so summarize it, it for everyone. So we had a race this weekend. Obviously Hamilton clawed back. What's the what's the situation here? They're exactly tied going into the final race of the season. They're exactly tied on points. Whichever one of them finishes ahead of the other is going to win the world championship. There was a lot of controversy last race because, and there actually has been controversy over the last several races now um, in that Max Verstappen is being a very aggressive driver. And anytime he feels like, I guess, Lewis is getting the upper hand on him, there's been some contact in these races. Um, I, I think Lewis called them crazy this weekend during the live race. This guy's crazy, man, is what he's saying on. This guy's crazy. He's wild, man. Uh, I, I don't do a good Lewis Hamilton impression, but I find it hilarious whenever he says stuff like that. But um, there was this Max Verstappen passed Lewis Hamilton by going off the track, which is a no-no in Formula One. So the stewards ruled in race that he had to give the track position back to Hamilton. Max Verstappen, for some reason which I've never seen before in my entire life, decides he's going to give back the track position on a straightaway by just breaking in the middle of the road, in which po- at which point Hamilton basically rears en- rear ends him, trying to get out of the way, damages his front wing. Luckily for Lewis Hamilton, goes on to win the race. It wasn't that bad. Max Verstappen gets a 10-second penalty, which doesn't cost him anything because he ends up in second in the race regardless. So, you know, kind of just goes under the water, but it's it's going to show that it's become extremely competitive. And um, I'm not like a believer in, in momentum in Formula One or anything like that. You got to take into account the tracks and, and driving styles and so on and so forth and which tracks might suit different cars. There's obviously only two teams that can, you know, they're miles ahead of everyone else. But the Mercedes is faster right now. And... As much as I don't like Lewis Hamilton because he's dominated the sport for so long, and I like to see a little bit more parity, and because he's not a Ferrari driver and never has been, truthfully speaking, he's driving as well as he ever has been. Like it's he's just he's the guy to beat, and I think the odds are reflecting that. Unfortunately, yeah, we have Hamilton as a favorite here. I just pulled it up. Um, I watch a little F one, but not the most. I uh, you're saying Max Verstappen's a crazy driver. Um, I do know he, this is, most people probably won't know this, but he did basically, um, take another guy, another driver's wife, if that, if, and so there's another driver and, uh, basically got divorced, wife left him for Max Verstappen, who is just obviously a younger, better driver at the time, still is, uh, forget who the driver is, but, uh, you know, we don't even need to name him. It's already enough insult, but, uh, yeah, Verstappen did that. I feel like, you know, He's like a young hotshot guy. It reminds me of Ricky Bobby. Oh yeah, gunslinger. Hundred percent. Ver- Max Verstappen would be the heel in a movie. Like a- as much as Lewis Hamilton should be the heel because like Mercedes has won for so long and like they're finally their backs are up against the wall. Like people are rooting for them to lose. The way that this this you know Formula One stretches or, or you know the season has come down to the, the final races here. Verstappen would be the heel. Like, I think he's only, he's still only 22 years old or something, right? Like, he's extremely young, very cocky, arrogant. Um, he does not take defeat well. I mean, frankly, three quarters of these drivers don't take defeat well. They've been at the top of, of racing pretty much their entire lives till they get to F1. But he would 100% be like, the, uh, he, he wouldn't be Ricky Bobby. He would be Sasha Baron Cohen as the, like, the French driver. Uh, Jean Girard, Jean, whatever his name was. was, like that. That's who 
Max Verstappen would be if I had to compare the movie, I think. I'm not saying Lewis Hamilton is Ricky Bobby because I, I think he's unlikable. Like Daniel Ricardo would be Ricky Bobby or something like that. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, it is uh, confirmed Jean Girard. My memory did <laughs> Jean not. Girard. My memory did not serve me wrong. What a movie. Um, okay, so moving on. So we had, uh, yeah, we got F1 this weekend. Jake Paul fight coming up. Those are two, obviously, you know, betting events that are outside of the major mainstream NFL. Is NBA the F1 race this weekend or is there a gap? December 10, no? Yeah, it's this weekend. You're right. December 10 qualifying, obviously. Yep. And then um, this, this, this weekend. Uh, yeah, we'll be watching that for sure uh, as the Sunday... Yeah, NFL grind continues. It's a good time to be a sports fan. You're going to have like all these one-off bowl games. We're not here to give like a bowl game preview for every little thing, but I'm going to be betting bowl games. And listen, like at the end of the day, we've talked about this before, even games where I don't have an edge, I'm going to shop for the best line possible. Make sure that like I might bet something that is just perceived value based off a off-market line or whatever. Give myself a little rooting interest and look at alternative markets as well you'll often find like a first half or first quarter number that's way off market where you can have some sort of rooting interest in the events. And like, that's pretty much my recommendation for bowl season, unless you're modeling the game or you have other sharp action that you can piggyback off of go sportsbook to sportsbook, find some prices that stand out and give yourself a chance to, to earn hundred percent. So let's get into it. Uh, this podcast will uh, likely be coming out on uh, Friday, the NFL game, that we're going to break down was the Bills-Patriots game Monday night, this Monday night. So a couple of days, it'll be a couple of days delayed. Rob, you want to give basically a breakdown of exactly what happened for anyone who wasn't following it, and then we can get into kind of like how the betting market reacted and what some of the differences and edges were. Yeah, so first and foremost, the betting market will identify bad weather games very early in the week. And whether, like, obviously anyone who follows meteorologists or the weather knows that a Monday forecast for the next Monday is not necessarily always going to hold up, but there are certain people that are willing to take that chance. Regardless, there's enough that they see in the forecast that is like, okay, we're going to go on the under right away. And this happens very early in the week, every single time. Like there's people that are just playing weather out there with the opportunity, hopefully to middle it down the road. So if you were to bet an under 47, the total moves a full touchdown or more, like has happened in some cases in the past, you have a very good opportunity to come in on the other side, have a really big middle. I'll talk about that in a second, but people need to understand that, right? A lot of that information is is being jumped on immediately. That's not to say that there's not additional value in it later in the week, because the closer you get to game day, those forecasts are going to get more and more accurate. And there's probably some value left at those points. And that's exactly what happened with Buffalo, New England. Gets bet down to a key number of 44 earlier in the week. Then you start to see more weather impact. Winds are getting stronger. Keeps getting bet down over the course of the week. And then we get to the actual Monday where you have 41, 40 and a half in some spots. Closing around a juiced over 40 at Pinnacle. We had, likely call it 40 and a half. Right. So there's, there's so much that we're going to talk about here because there's a ton of different markets for NFL games. But speaking strictly from the totals market, what I noticed particularly this week and what I've noticed for several years now, dating back to last year where Cleveland had three straight home games with inclement weather, um, 
previous year, it's always the same teams, right? Like Buffalo's a bad one. Cleveland's a bad one. Chicago, Soldier Field, you get a ton of Green Bay, Lambeau. You tend to get all this movement and then eventually all the quote-unquote late sharp action is on the over because they feel like it's an overreaction. So explain why the game goes under if there's... So the wind... I mean, I guess I'll just... I'll rip real quick here. So when the when it's very windy, teams can't pass as well, right? So two things are impacted. The ability to pass, the ability to kick, whether in either direction based on where the, the wind is going. So what that does is if a team is against the wind, it's going to be very tough to attempt a long field goal. They're no longer going to do that. They're probably going to punt the ball or go for it in a short yardage situation. Um, and when you're talking about throwing the ball, it's very hard to throw deep in wind as obviously the ball's going to be swirling around, higher chance of an interception and completion. So you typically have a lot more rushing in the game. More rushing versus more passing uh, lowers the total for a few reasons. Number one, when you rush the ball, there's no incompletions, clock runs, clock bleeds, less time in the game, lower score, less chance of scores. And then secondly, passing in general is going to be a higher indicator for an over is when you pass the ball, you're able to move it further and score more points in the game. So all in, when you're rushing the ball, you're going to score less points already. And on top of that, the clock's running for the whole game. So when you have high winds, like, you know, this isn't something that really is like snow and rain don't impact this as much in a, in a light capacity. Right. But the wind is something that once it hits a certain mile per hour, um, it's almost, you know, unplayable for one team in terms of throwing past a certain direction, which is what we saw in this game Monday where the Patriots, they didn't throw the ball because when they were at, you know, in the first quarter, for example, if they were to throw the ball, then they wouldn't not be able to complete it anything more than like, I'd say even five yards away from the quarterback based on the way the wind was going. So just ran the ball, ran it down the throat and obviously, you know, impacted the under. So continue, Rob. Well, that's important. The wind direction is something that people... I often see people not accounting for, which plays just as much a factor as the actual wind itself. Because I had a tweet on Monday where it was, I don't, I'm, I don't have it up in front of me. It was something along the lines of like, I'm fairly certain that the live trading algorithms are not accounting for this wind properly based off what I was seeing with the prices of the game. And the particular reason that I said that was because the wind was blowing hard vertically on the field. Depending on which way you are going, which way the offense is going, you're either going to be at a massive advantage being with the wind, or you're going to be at a massive disadvantage against the wind. If you are against the wind, you pretty much have no chance to complete a pass downfield at all. And this was not accounted for in the quarterly trading. Big edge. Because uh, like you, you have an entire quarter, one, one team's going to hand off the ball or throw short passes. The other team... Now, New England still ended up running the ball when they had the wind in their favor because the game state was working in their favor. They had a lot of leads and whatever. But when Buffalo had the wind, they were able to throw it a little bit better. So this was not accounted for. If you end up playing a second quarter line, third quarter line, fourth quarter line for any team that had the wind, or you were live betting in game based off of that, you made a killing. And this isn't something new from this year. This dates back to last year's very similar situation with Cleveland. And on top of that, you ended up with a situation where there was a bunch of early scoring in the game, which in my opinion was not necessarily going to be repeatable in the sense that New England broke away a long touchdown run. 
and you had a, a, a total that was adjusted like higher. And I was like, what is happening here? Like, is nobody watching what is actually happening? The Patriots are willing to run the ball on third and seven. That tells you all you need to know about their confidence in their quarterback making a throw there. And this was kind of just flying under the radar and did in the live markets. But this is like a common theme now for several years where I, I, I don't know, know what it is where people want to get involved on the over late in this game, whether it's like a, it's this um, fade the public narrative as well. Oh, everybody's watching ESPN and they see how windy it is and everyone's going to go and bet the over. So the, the under, excuse me, so the over is the right side. No, like we've seen it time and time again now. If the winds are very strong and like we can get into what classifies a strong wind, typically 20 miles an hour, you can still throw it, but it's going to affect the passing game. We were talking about 35 to 40 miles an hour. Very visible on the field as well. Watch Josh Allen throw his passes. He got a strong arm. The wind was taking those balls. He was missing them. So just by having eyes and watching this and having seen past experiences of this um, set up a, a great situation. But like for me, this is this is like a, a thing that will just never stop where people are always, like the biggest bettors are always looking to middle these games. And I don't understand why. And people are very scared. Like I always talk about betting you don't want to bet at post a lot. And I, I truly believe that in the NFL, like you're not going to make a living betting five minutes, 10 minutes before the game when all this information is accounted for. But I feel like there's something within the market that they just do not account for these properly. Or there's that, like the satisfaction of having that middle opportunity where people just refuse to bet this further down. And you end up with like, in my opinion, very, very bad prices on these totals in these win games. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of similar to even when you have like a Chicago Cubs game with the wind blowing out or in and everything gets adjusted. And the reality is what people are doing are making an estimate and, and right. it eventually stops somewhere where some big market maker says, okay, I'm, I've got enough and I don't, I don't need a pound anymore on this side. But compared to a regular game where you have thousands, hundreds of thousands of samples, and now you're comparing one game, like there's not many win games. There's zero that have ever been played in the same conditions as this. So like the totals are significantly less efficient here and it's not necessarily reflected in this, in the bookmaker limits because they're still getting a lot of action either way It's pregame NFL. So they're willing to take positions on what they feel as well. So you can still bet a lot on a line that's significantly less efficient than another total. Granted, we do have to, you know, factor in the way a market works is this line is still getting bet there for a reason. And the person whose respected account is betting this is respected for a reason. So the total is still efficient. I'm not saying like, oh yeah, this thing should have closed like 30 points instead of 40. Um, but to Rob's point, like there's no, you're not getting opportunities like this to take a position on a line that's as mispriced here. But where I see the, the true value, as Rob mentioned, is on the derivative markets and yes. the in-play. The in-play is, it's significantly, it's a significant edge because you coming into the game, you're like, okay, there's going to be a lot of wins we think this team's going to do this. But you don't really know what the team is going to do. At the end of the day, you have no idea if if the Patriots had a plan where they were going to just throw short and they were going to do this or yada, yada. When you're looking at watching drive one, which was a three and out, all rush, rushing. Then you got drive two, which is a three and out with all rushing. And then you got drive three, which is back to the Patriots. And it's a three and out with a rush on third and seven. And then what ended up being, I think, a 15-yard punt or a 20-yard <laughs> punt after the win. As soon as you see that, you, you now realize this is a true field position game. Yes. So 
the Bills in that field position where are at an insanely high likelihood to score first in this game. Yes. And I'm, we're laughing here because the Patriots ended up scoring. Right. First. The Bills turned it over on a breed of fumble and Dame Harris had a massive run uh, to the house, which was pretty much the only way New England was going to score a touchdown in that quarter. Yep. They just ran the ball. And they were and content to do that. Like content. Belichick wanted to get out of that quarter, like not trailing by a lot or tied. And they ended up leading. Correct. So when you're looking at this and you're just looking at a, a live market and pricing, you're going to see a huge edge on Buffalo to score next. Because what you have there is like the, the derivative pricing of every other game marked into it. They're saying, yep, this team was a three-point favorite, is at the 40-yard line, um, and it's first and 10. So these are the odds that they're going to score first. But it's not even factoring in the, like, the whole angle of, A, they're going to still potentially kick here because they're with the win. So Tyler Bass has a shot at a field goal. And B, if they do decide to go for it and turn it over, New England can't throw the ball. They're just going to run it up the gut. You're going to have another opportunity. The only way New England's scoring is if they slowly flip field position with either a turnover or a couple of um, or a couple of big first downs, which is very unlikely in this scenario. So it did it did happen. Obviously, yep. if you had bet Buffalo to score first, that bet lost. But when we're going even further into derivative markets, you have so many different things like. Um, you know, longest field goal in the game. Oh, yeah. This is pre pregame stuff. Longest field goal in the game. Like, well, you're trying to think now, like the, even if they're going to attempt a long one on the windy side, significantly less high uh, of a chance that you're going to hit that field goal given the wins. So that's, you know, that's a banger. Then you have other things that are just priced for every single game. So one thing which um, I was able to actually get down on was longest completion in the game slash longest reception in the game, whatever you want to call it under. Now, this one was just an, an obvious mispriced yeah. one. You know, you, you I, lose I, on a screen pass, basically. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And even you know, Stephon Diggs had a couple long targets, but nothing would have been in in the range of um, the, some of the numbers that I played. So, and I played it qu- down quite some bit. But the reality is, like, you're not going to lose that bet compared to a regular game, and the value's there. There's also you know under on the field goals in the game would have been another one under two and a half. Johnny, ended up in, losing in game. In the like late in the first quarter, you could have got there is not going to be an attempted field goal in this game at 15 to 1. Now there was, and you would lose, but you know that going one way, there's not going to be a field goal attempt. So you're hoping that going the other way, either they're not going to get into range or they're going to score touchdowns when they do get there. But like these are that it lost, whatever. But the true odds of that were definitely not anywhere near 15 to 1. I agree. Chris Chris had a no touchdown scored in game pregame. Yep. At uh, I believe it ended up closing around seventeen plus seventeen hundred, which is the lowest I've I've seen a game ever for no touchdown scored in game. So they were basically saying one in every um, you know eighteen of these you're gonna ha- end up having no touchdown scored, which is in, which is insane. Yep. For an NFL That's- game, especially with two teams that are not you know it's this is not like the Jags and this and a, and a snowball. But anyways, you, you know what though? It, it really wasn't that far off. Like if you think of Buffalo needed a muff punt to score a touchdown, which you can argue. I didn't even think they were going to be returning punts in the game. I didn't think they would have a punt returner back there because of the wind. And it just makes no sense. Let it go type of thing. And it hit Harry and Buffalo end up scoring on that drive. And new England scored on a long touchdown. Like it, it wasn't that far off from not being a, not having a touchdown in the game. Yeah, I agree. It wasn't even, it wasn't far off. Yeah. In terms of the player markets you had, um, so again, wind, 
equals rushing up and then receiving down. So all of the receivers had their yardage total slashed. You had receiving touchdowns at a significant minimum, and then the, the running backs to score a touchdown all had some value. And then you had the running back yardage totals, which were great value at the start, obviously, and they were hit up to a certain range, ended up being far short in terms of the prices. You had like even, you know, Ramondre Stevenson, who's the number two, and I know there was an injury to Harris and he ended up coming back in, but Ramondre got 20-plus carries and on the exact number. Mm-hmm. You know, both broke uh, off, uh, you know, decent runs. And with that volume, like, you're going to be able to go over yardage totals in the 40s um, for some of these backups. So, you know, it doesn't always work out. What we're saying is, and, you know, this game is honestly a true example of we're telling you what the value bets were. Yeah. And some of them didn't hit. Right. And we're still going to say that those were incredible bets. So, like, you know, Bill's first score, given as soon as they, like, as soon as they were basically getting the side for the first half, despite the fact that they didn't get ball, you could you could have played Bills for a score when the Patriots had ball in their own zone, and you would be at a significant advantage despite the fact that the books are pricing in a Patriots first possession. Yep. So, you know, things like this, obviously, they, they didn't win, and a lot of these did lose, you know, even some of the ones I'm mentioning. Like, you know, you had Devin Singletary, who I just, I think, fell just short of his closing rushing total. It would have beat his opener. You know, you didn't have a rushing touchdown for the Bills, which would have been a, a good edge on, you know, likely at the prices they played, Zach Moss, Singletary, and Brita, Rushing touchdowns were all solid value given the amount that they were going to be rushing. Uh, none of those won. Yeah, Josh Allen as well to scramble one in was an edge at the opening number. So a lot of these did not win, but what we're still trying to prove is like the when you're looking at something happen in a game, you might see on Twitter, oh, there's going to be wins here, like bet the under. Don't just go rush to bet the under. Go look at your sports book. Drop down your menu and go through the entire works, right? You're like longest rush over, longest reception under. You have under and total field goals in the game. You have like all the ones we were just mentioning, you can go across the board, first score, last score, things like that. And then in play, when you actually see stuff going, like to, to pick it, there's a couple sites that offer, um, you know, next touchdown score in play. And if you, if the Patriots had ball, like, and they're driving, which they were a few times and ended up settling for some field goals, but Betting whatever running back had that series, like no one else is scoring a touchdown there. So you're if Ramondre Stevenson's just got seven carries in a row, Patriots are driving down to the Bills 20, like Ramondre Stevenson is the only one who's getting a touchdown. Unless maybe Mac Jones on a sneak. But it's, yes, it's it, going to be a rushing touchdown. Exactly, exactly. So, you know, things like that were uh, were, were pretty cool. And it was, uh, it was nice to see like all those opportunities, despite the fact that, you know, it wasn't necessarily the most profitable game of the year for, you know, advantage players who are taking these angles, but just shows how much opportunity really exists in games. If you know where to look, um, if you line shop and make sure, you know, cause a lot of these lines, if we're, if we're talking like just pinnacle, like they're over adjusting, right? So you got to find it on a book that hasn't necessarily adjusted or hasn't adjusted all the way yet. And maybe bet some of those down or up depending on the way, you know, the game was going or the way that the market was moving. So awesome stuff in terms of this game. Anything else you wanted to add, Rob? Well, like I, I will say this game was felt like the Super Bowl for me. Like I'm I don't play a ton of derivative markets or props, alternative markets. Super Bowl I will, but I'm not like that guy that, you know, is posting a stack of like three hundred slips from Vegas or or whatever, right? Like yeah, like you do, maybe Johnny or 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 Rufus or whatever. There's lots of guys that go, you know, shop to shop. I it's an art. I appreciate it. It's just not what I do. But this game specifically, 
there was just way too much opportunity to pass up. And you have to, obviously it's a little bit of a risk. I'm not saying that like these are guarantees. Um, A lot of this was pregame stuff. Will there be a two point conversion attempt? That was like, I had that pretty much everywhere because I'm watching like pregame warmups, literally video videos. This is not taking someone's like personal opinion or just looking at the data and saying it's going to be windy. There's people recording the field goal kickers pregame that are like, can't hit a 30 yard field goal in one direction. I don't know if anyone saw that video is absolutely hilarious. The ball just, it, it, it actually, if it had been straight might have actually went through the field goal post and came back and not been a field goal. That's how much wind was blowing in one direction. And I'm watching this. I'm like, there's no way if a team scores a touchdown on this side, they're going to kick an extra point. Like this is a two point conversion. And these are priced like regu- like just a regular game that's happening. And this was like, it's, it's a, a rare instance of an extreme game where you're just getting prices as if like, it's not that extreme. And uh, for me, it was like, I actually had such a rooting interest in so many things that were happening was so incredibly rattled by the first Patriots touchdown because I had Bill's first quarter, but I ended up winning the rest of the quarter bets that I made just backing the team that was, had the ball going in the direction of the wind, which like the pinnacle live traders, okay, they were on top of it. Seemed like everybody else in the world wasn't that they were just using whatever they're, you know, they're paying companies to spit out live projections and they're juicing them to the point where they think that they can't be hurt. And man, they got hurt. Um, so like, that's just, you know, there, there's so many different ways to attack things. And some people, you know, uh, I had arguments on my Twitter timeline about like, Oh, like who bets props, who does this? Why do I want to tie up credit? And and I don't really usually do that, but there's just like, you got to take advantage of these opportunities and the weather games to me are something that is still not priced properly. And they will be eventually like everyone's going to catch up. Market will catch up, but keep an eye on these over the course of the rest of the year. And if, you know, if this is evergreen content that we're playing in the year 2025, I'll be happy, but there's lots of advantages to being on top of this stuff. For sure. And this is this awesome way to like, look at trading in play or betting in play. If you want to call it like everyone watches the games and they bet because they were watching the games and they want to have fun. This is a way to have fun watching the games and also make some expected value and hopefully convert that to money. But Reality is like if you're watching all the games and just saying stuff like, oh, this team looks good. This guy looks looks bad. This guy looks good. I think this team's going to beat because this team just, you know, beat this other team last week. You're not going to make money. But if you're looking for things like this in the game, hidden advantages, guy comes out due to injury, guy comes out to the here and you, you, you are basically trading before that info is reflected into the market. Now you're watching the games and you're actually gaining an edge because of your passion and your hobby and your, you know, ability to have fun watching the game right now for the dfs people out there that are listening i would recommend doing the exact opposite of everything that i recommended for sports because i noticed with dfs is you get like 99 percent ownership of the running backs or they're put into the captain spots or whatever so from that point of view if you're playing like tournament style entries which i did as well on on monday night as i i am apt to do you're actually looking for the game that nobody expects. You're trying to like predict, okay, you know what? Maybe they're able to overcome this wind and I'll be the only guy rostering, you know, a wide receiver as my captain or whatever. So 
depends on who you are competing against. When you're competing against all of these other DFS players who are all seeing the same thing, and no, like for example, you could captain a kicker in a in a showdown slate. Maybe he ends up kicking two sixty yard field goals in the direction of the wind. Very off chance, but you're probably the only person that's captain that kicker. And there's some game theory. Just the game theory there, yeah. playing contrarian in a in a game, but yeah. especially a single game slate. I don't play much DFS, but yeah, I, that's um. Seems like you de- in DFS, obviously, yeah. If it's a contest game, you don't want to pick the running backs. Obviously, right. you got to play contrarian a little. Yeah, that's so like that's just one thing. But like when you're when you're comp- when you're shopping sportsbook prices and they're clearly not adjusting the lines well enough for the type of game, then like there's don't go contrarian. There's no oh like that. That's what drove me crazy about Monday night is the amount of like people that I actually respect who I consider to be sharp. Who's like everyone's piling in on this under like it's free money. Uh, you, you know, like over has to be the play. And it's like, no, like they literally cannot throw a ball there. There's, I, I didn't even, I didn't know the Patriots were going to only run the ball or pass the ball three times. I did not know that, but that just goes to show you how bad the weather actually was that their game plan was, we are just going to run our way to a win. And they did Bill Belichick wearing the Navy COVID mask. Like Navy's just like a big time rushing offense as well. was hilarious pregame. <laughs> he literally did an interview pregame wearing a Navy COVID mask, which if anyone picked up on, you, you wouldn't know what it means until like after you start to see the game plan. But it's it's like, or it could have just been a random coincidence. I don't know if anyone asked him about that, but such like an elite troll move. If it was, this is the offense we're going to run and you got to stop it. Did, um, well, actually, what do you think about uh, potential Bucks pat Super Bowl? Uh, what's the nearest highway to here? The 407? I'd be laying down on the 407 waiting for traffic to run me over if we get a, a Pat's Bucks Super Bowl. Why I can't, not? I don't, I don't want it. Like, come on. I Look at the narrative. Who's better once and for all? Belichick versus Brady. It's, oh, it could happen. The AFC is so wide open. Like, I have no clue who is going to win the AFC. Zero clue. It would not surprise me if anyone in the playoff hunt won that conference because there's just not separating the teams enough. Tampa Bay is a force. Brady is still a machine. I just want to see people other than Tom Brady in the Super Bowl. So I just pulled up uh, odds real quick right here. We have Kansas City, still a favorite, yeah. followed by slightly behind New England, and then you have uh, Buffalo following. So, And then I guess fourth favorite here, you have Ravens, and then five Titans. So... Like, it, it's wide open. Like, this is crazy right now. By the way, my, my takeaway from the Bills-Patriots game is nothing. There's no takeaway to be had. Because of the weather. They played in, like, I don't, I don't include that game in my modeling. I suggest other people don't do this as well. It's kind of, look, I'll give away, like, a, a secret of mine last year. But I think I mentioned it as it was going on last year. In the latter half of the season, I was playing all these Browns overs. And no, everyone was like, what do you, t- like, these, there's no way, whatever. I'm like, why are you using data from three weeks of the season where they had, like, two inclement weather games and all their wide receivers out with COVID? Like, why are you using those games? They're not reflective of the team at all. Like, oh, you're taking a small sample size and you're going to make it even smaller. Like, why would you do that? It's because it's not reflect, like, that data does not tell me anything. It's not predictive in any sense. They had to run the ball every single play. If there was the one at home against the Texans where they won on like a Nick Chubb really long touchdown run. I think that was like the only touchdown of the game or whatever. It was, so why would I use that? 
strip it out. Same thing with New England Buffalo. Like, don't, what are you taking away from that game? That the Bills, okay, maybe don't have as great a run defense as we thought they did. But even yeah, then. And like, honestly, maybe, maybe they still do because it's a different, it's like, it's actually a different game. Like, yeah. there were, there's no three wide receiver sets. Like, no. there's nothing, right? But now. there was like some, and the Patriots hit some explosive plays in the running game, right? It wasn't like they're the Patriots, uh, sorry, the Bills' success, Patriots' success rate was very high running the ball. It wasn't. It was like 39%. It was that they ended up hitting some big plays. So maybe the, there's a, a vulnerability to the Bills' run defense where they give up some big plays, and they did this year to Jonathan Taylor and Derrick Henry and whatever. But, yeah, don't, like, so to me, like, that's a little bit mis- I still think the Bills are a little bit better than the Patriots. Like, that's just me. We'll see. I mean, this game. I, I think the Chiefs are should be the favorite. As and and the Chiefs do not look good at all. Well, the defense is looking, but better. the le- defense is looking a lot better ever since they moved Chris Jones to the interior, and they've been healthy. It's it's so weird to see this version of the Chiefs, man. It's I don't even know what I'm watching sometimes. Uh, well, like I, I can't believe what I'm watching. I think they'll figure it out. I hope I hope they do. I, but it's, we're, it's we're more entertaining football. Three quarters of the way through the season. I, yeah. I, I, I well, some games, some games they have looked incredible. Yeah, it's just on offense. It's just it, they've those have been like every third game now instead of every game. True. So we want to move on to uh, one final topic for today. It's uh, it's going to be another really fun way to bet the NFLs. NFL first and last touchdown score, and we're going to give some uh, some ways that Rob and I think about this market right now. So it's it's this is like a super hot market on Twitter on on everywhere. Like everyone wants to bet first touchdown score. I think I know why. Well, we we know why. It's because it's a high payout Payouts, and it yeah. grades right away. Yeah. And who doesn't, this is like, it's like putting, you know, money on like a, a single number in roulette. you like, you would only have to wait 30 seconds and then you get to see if you just made like, you know, 35 X your money or, or whatever that table pays out. Um, but it, but it's like, it's like the lottery ticket, like the parlay ticket without having to wait forever and still getting the parlay payout. Exactly. Exactly. So first, for first, we'll break we'll break it down on kind of like what goes into this market right now, and all this stuff is for the most part now factored into the market. Um, so don't go thinking that you have like a significant edge, but these are other ways where you might be able to justify one play over the other, and you know you can see what you weight more. So coming in, um, first and foremost, the thing that's going to be factored in is going to be um, you know who is going to be like who gets the touchdowns and who's going to be on the field for that team at the key positions. So if you're looking at finding an edge here, this is an area where you might be able to find an edge on if there's, you know, a starting running back is injured. And it's not necessarily known who the goal line back is going to be. Um, for example, you had a couple of weeks weeks ago, you know, when Miles Sanders went down for the Eagles, and then you had Jordan Howard who was basically signed out of nowhere and Boston Scott and Kenneth Gainwell. Now Kenneth Gainwell was priced as a significant favorite because he had been the backup running back to Miles Sanders all year. But what wasn't really factored in is the fact that uh, Kenneth Gainwell's a receiving back. He didn't get much goal line work when Miles Sanders was there. And there was news indicated that Jordan Howard would likely see some goal line work. So Jordan Howard being priced as a significant dog you know, would be a great bet for first touchdown, given that he might fill the goal line back role. So first and foremost, you want to, you want to factor in who's going to be on the field for each team at the key positions. So for, if a receiver goes down, who's the man, who's the next man up for that position? You know, that's the thing you have to do. So you have like this week will be a good one here. Like, I don't know if he's going to play or exactly what's going to happen, but Keenan Allen, 
right, on the COVID list. If Keenan Allen doesn't play, he's obviously a starter for the Chargers. If Keenan Allen doesn't play, someone will take that spot in the red zone. We need to figure out who that's going to be. Is it going to be Palmer? Is it going to be Guyton? Who is it going to be and how involved are they going to be in that offense? The way you can factor that in is to see in the past when Keenan Allen's missed a play or two plays or hasn't been on the field in the red zone, who's been in that spot one. And number two, if any news comes out, that's going to be the easiest way to do it. So back, back to basics, figure out who's going to be on the field in those positions to start the game. So Rob, anything to add on that? No, I think that's good advice. I mean, typically, um, you know, most of your touchdowns are going to come at least first touchdown score in the form of a red zone target. There's obviously you still have your big play threats. You have like guys like Deshaun Jackson, who's mispriced first down touchdown scorer on Thanksgiving with his role in the offense and whatever. But a lot of that is already priced in. Like, you know, when, you have to understand when you're betting a, a market like this, it's juiced as shit first and foremost. So for one, the sports book doesn't have to be that far off in setting their lines. If they have a rough probability, they're probably in decent shape. They're very much going to do that. Like I've consulted for sports books in the past. There's always going to be some sort of props trader who's literally going to probably just pull up a spreadsheet of these are the targets that these guys have gotten this year, past touchdowns. It's going to be a very loose number, but most of the stuff that you're probably factoring in is something that's already going to be roughly factored in. Maybe you can do a better job of, of, of that factoring, but like digging deep into news, like you're mentioning, Adrian Peterson, great example last week where some people hit him big on some first touchdown scorer props where there was a lot of early reports that he wasn't going to see the field that week. And then some later reports of he could potentially be the goal line back this week and almost end up scoring multiple touchdowns. But it's stuff like staying on top of that news and that beat that might give you a, a little added element of an edge there. Yeah, exactly. So when you're looking at the news, that's pretty self-explanatory. If it comes out, you have to be on top of it. But other areas where there's no news, for example, I mean, this podcast will be out by then, but Adam Thielen's missing this game for the Vikings. He's one of the best red zone threats actually in the league right now. And he's got a a ton of touchdowns on the year. Adam Thielen's missing that game. Someone's going to take his place. But just betting uh, a receiver that's already involved in the offense, like a lot of people would say, okay, let's let's bet K.J. Osborne. Mm -hmm. KJ Osborne's the, the third receiver in Minnesota. He's going to get more snaps, no doubt. But is he more likely to take that Thielen zone, the red zone? Personally, I disagree. I, I think the value there would be on someone like Tyler Conklin, who's... I was just going to say that. Basically, you know, he's been more involved in the red zone, so he's going to get the snaps there. You lose a guy like Thielen in the red zone, Conklin has a better chance. That This can all be determined by looking at... Well, the stuff I look at is like usually snap counts, um on the field in red zone. So red zone snap percentage, um, you know, red zone targets is obviously a big thing. Everyone can tell how many touchdowns a guy has on the year. That's the stuff that the squares are looking at. Oh, this guy's got this many touchdowns on the year. That's my bet for first touchdown or to get a touchdown. That's not how it works because you have better metrics for predicting touchdowns than just how many touchdowns you've scored. And those are obviously stuff that you want to look at. So First and foremost, like I said, I'm going to say it again for a fourth time, who's going to be on the field in those key positions and who's going to get an uptick based on an injury or a change in scheme or anything like that in those capacities. So that's your first biggest edge. You're not going to have an edge that's bigger than that. Outside of that, what you're going to look for is, and this was a small one that wasn't factored in, I mentioned it before, but 
who's going to get the ball first? Mm-hmm. Getting the ball first, the higher likelihood of scoring a touchdown first. Right. And there's certain teams in the league that will always defer. No matter when they have the ball, no matter, if they win the toss, they're going to defer to the second half, which I think is a smart move. But most teams are going to take the ball, and some will defer every single time. Right. So if you take the ones that are going to defer every single time, you would want to stray away from those guys in terms of betting a first touchdown. It's very likely that that person, that player, sorry, is going to get the ball second. If that's the case, you know, you're just eroding, even if it's only like a 2 or 3%, you're eroding 2 or 3% in your edge in this market. So that's another thing to look for. And then what I was going to say is, when, you're, when you've decided who you wanted to bet, so based on factor A, factor B, decided who you wanted to bet, obviously you got a line shop. But one thing that not enough people do is look at the first team scorer market. So you have first touchdown for the game, which is the biggest market there. There's also first team touchdown. So if we're looking at this Thursday night, we'll have first Steelers touchdown, first Vikings touchdown. In the game, whatever team is favored in the game is probably likely to score first, X the fact that they may not be getting the ball. But for the most part, if you can get a player to score the first team touchdown at greater than half of the odds of the full the full game mm-hmm. touchdown, then that's something you should consider. Now, it's not necessarily chop those ads, those odds in half on an exact number. There is a different formula you need to follow. But for the most part, um, you know, you're you're gonna find value in different players by betting them to get the first team score a shorter payout obviously um but significantly higher edges if you if you're going to factor in an additional market it's the exact same work you're doing but now you can look at a secondary market and try to make money off that as well it's interesting i've actually never done that myself never that first team score no it's listen you, you can't get as much money down on first team score so there, there's that and they're they're not available on every single sports book um, but for the most part, first team score is actually a slight bit less efficient than first game score. Right. And for that reason, you know, if you like a guy at first game score at this price, you can probably find a chopped odds that are going to be actually uh, higher EV than the full game. Well, I think this marketing, this market, excuse me, is interesting for a variety of reasons and especially for us too, because you're playing a lot of first touchdown scores because you play a lot more props than I do. And you're probably doing it to actually win money in the long run. Whereas I am more in the recreational side where I want to make a primetime game interesting type of thing. I'm not betting first down touchdown scores on every game on Sunday afternoon or whatever. It's more so Sunday night football comes around. I don't have a, a play on the game. I want to sweat, enjoy the first hour before I can watch succession or, or curb your enthusiasm or whatever, uh, or maybe the full game, depending on if it's a good game. So for me, uh, I'm just like, very, I'm, I preach this all the time. Like if you take a shot every time I say line shopping or get the best price, you'd probably be drunk by the end of every single podcast. But like, that's just what I do for this type of market where I feel like I want to be- make a bet where I feel there's legitimate value. You will often notice, especially on first touchdown score, if you pull up like 10 sports books like I do in front of me and have that available to you and, and pick the, like the best, there's always going to be some off market prices that's kind of my starting point sometimes where I'll be like, hmm, this guy stands out. He's listed at 40 to one here. Everywhere else he's listed 20 to one. Is 20 to one actually the right price? I'll dig into that a little bit more and see if I could talk myself into that. Some people will just blindly take the 40 to one. I think that's perfectly fine sometimes as well. But I would like to just like, it's kind of just my process half hour before Sunday night football. So 
it's more so that my, like, I like to put in the work. I like to do like a little bit of research, make sure I give myself something that feels like I have an edge, but I almost end up always taking off market prices where I'll dig into it a little bit more and be like, yeah, this guy should be like, he's going to be involved in a goal line package, or he is actually seeing targets in the red zone, but doesn't have a touchdown yet this year. Or this team's tendency is when they get inside the 10 yard line, they're going to hand the ball off 80% of the time on first and second down or whatever. Right. Um, But for me, it's like, it always comes back to getting the best number possible in pretty much every scenario. I agree. Other things to factor in. Yes, you got to get the best number in every scenario. Other things to factor in, some people return kicks and punts. Um, you can tick them up a slight amount in terms of like your model. I wish it was still like 10, 15 years ago where you had prolific kick return. But the, the Devin Hester days. So the backup running back on Minnesota now after Dalvin Cook got injured. Um, Madison. No, no, Madison's now the, the, the starter, backup obviously. to the backup. Yes. So yep. his name's, uh, I'm going to butcher it, but Kine Nuangnu. Yep. He actually has two kickoff return touchdowns on the year. And um, it's just like, listen, it's it's nothing. He does return kicks. He's quite good at it. But if you're looking at any time scorer, like, you got to factor that in. Like, he's got he re- two on the year. He's the only one with two on the year. So just to add so to that, shot. he returns kicks. But, like, similar situation this week, same team. Unfortunately, this is going to air after the game has happened already. But with Adam Thielen out, D.D. Westbrook will become like the slot receiver and he returns punts for the team as well. So you can have like a little bit of a bonus uptick there in that he will be in the three wide receiver sets in all likelihood. And you have a little bit of a bonus of him being a punt returner. It's small, but it happens. Uh, Tony Pollard's another one. And if you look at the stats on Tony Pollard, returns way too many kicks. Like he should not be returning. I think the, the thing is with Tony Pollard, He's such a good player and he knows he's good and the offense wants to get him more touches, but he's just stuck behind Zeke in the Dallas offense. So they're like, all right, just let this guy at least get extra touches on the punt, on the kickoff returns. Well, it's hilarious because <laughs> they actually have CD lamb returning punts. Yeah. Like imagine having your number one receiver returning punts, I guess like from, if, if he's just going to fair catch it fine. Cause you like, you got your best hands guy out there. Okay. I understand. But whenever he actually returns a punt, I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan, by the way. I, I, I just like close my eyes. I'm like, please don't ha- suffer like a devastating. Yeah. Tyreek Hill used to return him too, yeah. but I think they got him out of there. Unless yeah. they like need a spark, they put him back. Sometimes. Exactly. But uh, yeah, so that like kickoff and, and punts are good. And then what I was going to say is last touchdown, typically what happens is the first touchdown market gets bet into place and the last touchdown market just follows. So you'll have like the same odds for first and last touchdown, but it's significantly different in terms of who's going to score that touchdown. So I'll give you an example a backup running back like we're just mentioning right now, significantly more likely to to score the last touchdown in the game, given that the game may be out of hand versus the first touchdown of the game where they're likely not going to be on the field. So that Minnesota backup, last touchdown, depending on the number, sure. First touchdown, likely not. You have a guy like Tony Pollard, first touchdown, likely not because he's you know he's behind Zeke for that opening series. Even if he's going to split carries, his odds are reflecting him um, you know, not getting that first carry, not getting that first series. Same with a guy like Melvin Gordon. Melvin Gordon, when he plays with Javante Williams, gets the first series every game. He started every single game outside of the one that he just missed last week. Javante Williams more, much more likely to get the last touchdown than the first touchdown for that exact reason. Right. So if you factor in guys like Pollard, you probably want to bet him last at the same odds instead of first. Um, quarterbacks. If you have a quarterback to scramble one in or like you look at Tom Brady, the chance he sneaks one in for the first touchdown of the game, 
Um, you know, Tampa gets down to the one, QB sneaks it in. But very unlikely he's going to score the last touchdown of the game because Tom Brady at his age and size, and, and you know, he's not going to scramble one in if Tampa Bay is up 21. Extremely unlikely. Unlikely, yes. unlikely for him to put his body at risk yep. if the game is basically a two scores game yep. or more. Yep. If it's, you know, I'm not saying he can't get one. If it's the last second of the game and they're, they need to touch down to win. Yeah. I'm sure Brady is the competitor that is going to go get that. But um, any quarterback really, you know, is less likely for them to put their body at risk in a blowout. Um, you look at other guys, for example, like anyone who's been injured before Teddy Bridgewater, you know, he'll, he might scramble for a first, if the game's out of hand. He's going to slide down Cam Newton. Um, same deal as he's shown as well. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, yes, you are betting on one game, but these NFL teams are playing a full season and they want to stay as healthy as possible. And there's cases where the team that's leading by a bunch ends up putting in their backups or the team that's trailing by a bunch ends up putting in their backup backups. That happens all the time. How many times have I seen Samaj P. Ryan on the field at the end of the, the, the week for the Cincinnati Bengals so far this year because they've played a few blowout games and they don't want Joe Mixon to get hurt. And when the game is out of hand like that, What's the tendency for teams to do? Hand the ball off. Let's go home, prepare for next week. So another market I never look at. Interesting. I'm going to actually look at it this week. Which last? The last one. I never look at the last yeah. one. Yeah, the backup running backs are the edge there because there's also the factor of an in-game injury to the starter, and now that, that person's the starter. So if you're looking for a last touchdown, you're going to basically just two, two quick hints, avoid quarterbacks and uh, give an uptick to backup running backs, especially the ones that are not true backups. But guys like, like Tony Pollard, like guys who play the game and are going to be getting anywhere between five and ten touches already, but are not the go-to starter. Because right. that person is going to get the significant usage uptick in a game that's not necessarily a blowout, but, you know... A ten, a, a ten to twenty point leading or trailing. So other guys that might fall into that category, I can just run down a quick list. I'm going to give you one right off the top of Ronald my head. Jones, AJ Dillon when Aaron Jones is healthy. So eight, yeah, AJ Dillon. I mean, he may have even surpassed. He may have surpassed. He may, him he may have surpassed Jones now after that injury, but AJ Dillon would be one. Um, you know, Ronald Jones would be another. You know, it's a good offense. They might put him on Tampa. Actually, when they blow out, has been running third fourth running back, I guess you can call it. But uh, yeah, things like that. Look it in, look at it and just, you know, mash it up. Don't overthink it. But these are all things that are not being really factored into that market as much. And I don't even think the books are going to correct this um, because like it's such a small market for them. They don't take much money on this. It's mostly a recreational market. And the bulk of the money is coming in at the top of the board or at the very bottom of the board. People are betting, you know, the favorite, the favorite, the Jonathan Taylor to get the first touchdown, or they're going way down the board and saying, okay, let's get the Michael Pruitt. Yeah, Back exactly. up tight end on the Titans, and let's hope he, he gets one to start. So that's the that's a little bit about the market there. Um, you know, have fun. This is one of my favorite markets to bet. It's actually, it's probably the funnest market you can bet in the NFL because you, like we said at the top, you could win a lot risk a little and it grades so fast in the game for the first one for the first but, touchdown. For, but the for last the one keeps you watching till the end the, there's nothing more of a sweat than if your guy has, has the, the last <laughs> touchdown but it's like still eight to ten minutes left in the four, fourth quarter and you're rooting no touchdown 
except for a, a duplicate touchdown of that same guy. It's a lot. It's that's a lot of that's a big sweat as well. I um I so I don't bet this the, the last touchdown market, but it's something that is now of interest to me. I have some theories going on in my head, but I think that typically, so let's take large spreads for example. I would say that the team that's favored by a lot, you got a fourteen point favorite backup running back would be a guy that I look to. The team that's down fourteen, pass catching running back is the one that I would look to. J.D. McKissick. Yeah, some Rex Burkhead for Houston, for example, instead of David Johnson, whatever he's... Well, David Johnson catches passes too, but Rex Burkhead tends to be like one of those. So that's kind of like the go-to off the top of my head. And then I do agree with, again, this is all dependent on what the actual prices are on these players. So I don't want to just recommend blindly doing this, but I suspect that those would be the valuable pieces in those games. And then games where it's a closer spread, just the backup running backs. Um, in, in like assuming that the backup running back gets some sort of workload. I'm not suggesting take a backup running back when he's going to see two, you know, 2% of the, the running back shares for that entire game. Like Najee Harris is going to get the ball every time. You know, Benny Snell, Kalen Balage, no. Ain't no, happening unless Najee Harris gets hurt. So don't waste your money there. But uh, yes, appreciate. I actually appreciate that you threw the last touchdown into the mix here because I am now going to become addicted to this. Rob's going to be rooting on every backup running back now. <laughs> I'm going to be coming, Good to, coming to the bet stamp office Monday mornings as I usually do. Usually I'm complaining about how I could have won so much more on the NFL and these were my bad beats. But now it's going to transform into this is I got screwed on this last touchdown score. It was such a good play. I'm going to talk about how great of a play it was. Johnny's going to be like, no, dude, this is not a good play. This is where you get into arguments at the office, where we are telling each other that it wasn't a good play. Listen, I've won some first touchdown scores this year. I've lost a lot as well, and it's a super high-variance market. If you're looking for something fun to bet, look no further. Try it out. As always, let us know feedback. You know, if you think you have a good play, send it in. Um, you know, it's, it's, all, it's, it's all for fun, and we, we preach, obviously, on this podcast, line shopping, responsible betting, you know, betting to win, profit. Um, but at the end of the day, like this is the, the one area where we're saying like, go have fun on this. If it's slightly negative EV, but at least you've line shopped and you have a rationale behind it. These are the bets you want to be making versus just, uh, you know, just following a, a, a Twitter capper or just dunking some money on anything you see without line shopping. Can you not see the Chargers like leading the Giants by 20 points in the fourth quarter and Jake Fromm just dumping it off to Devontae Booker for a late touchdown with like a minute left? Devonte Booker season last touchdown score. I'm gonna go place a bet on him right after. Okay, you gotta pick one right now, and I'll pick one. I, I I will say that. Well, like the likelihood that the although the Chargers do play a lot of goal, close games, the likelihood that the Giants are in this game towards the end is probably low, which means that Saquon's probably not on the field towards the end. Jake Fromm is captain checkdown. So yeah, I'll I'll pick Devonte Booker as my touchdown score. You're going to pick Devontae Booker? I'm going to pick Devontae Booker. Okay, so for last touchdown, um, so one, a guy I'm eyeing for this weekend is, uh, I mean, depending on injuries, will be uh, Jermichael Hasty running back on uh, San Fran. He okay. may end up, he may shake it, shake out as a starter. Um, if, if and when that happens, then he will be good to, I mean, I don't even want to give a number because I haven't actually lo- looked into it yet, but at Cincinnati, he'll probably be good at like plus 800, which his odds will be far higher than that. Um, and then for a, for a last touchdown. Hmm. 
I mean, it, obviously, it depends. So, on the sorry, odds. you're. I was giving last touchdown. Yeah, yeah. Devon I'm Dave giving. Book. I'm giving a okay, first. We'll, 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 re- first we'll reverse now. I'm giving a first, but that's again, it's a big. It's if. a. It's, it's a big. If, if. It's if Mitchell misses, if Jeff Wilson misses, it's not looking good for them right Trey now. Trey Sermon's already on the IR. He's gonna. Hasty will be the guy if those two miss, and I think one's in concussion protocol. We'll, we'll see how it shakes out. We have. Uh, I can see Jermichael Hasty getting stopped on first and goal, and then Kyle Uzcheck vulturing a touchdown from you. Well, that would be that would be uh, <laughs> that would be jokes. Okay, last. Okay, first, first touchdown. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go hasty on those contingencies, and then last touchdown. I'm gonna go. Ah, scrolling through the board here again. It depends on the numbers. Hard, so yeah, it's, it's, it's hard, impossible to get listen, out a let, pick without a number. It's, it's true. Like, it's almost. Ridiculous. I agree with you. It's not. It's not. It's not kosher to give out picks without fo- attaching a number to it. But I will say that whatever we the, the four names that come out here, the four bets that come. I'm just going to go after this show. I'm going to find the best number and I'm going to bet it just because I will not be able to live it down if it doesn't come through. All right. I'm going to shout out two names for last. Yeah. At depends on the odds. I highly going to depend on the odds. Number one, Khalil Herbert backup running back on the bears. I think potential for a green Bay like blowout that. here yep. off the buy. There you go. Obviously spread reflects that. And then second, it's not necessarily a backup. I just think he'll still be mispriced based on his usage. Guy's not very good right now. I'm just going to ride this guy. AD, Adrian Peterson all day. Last touchdown. All right. My next one, this one that I give for first touchdown, it's kind of ridiculous because I ha- I'm envisioning a play happening. It's so stupid. I'm going Carolina Panthers, Ian Thomas. Tight end, Ian Thomas. Getting is he even getting usage? We I'm telling he will be on, on the goal line set where everybody's going to key in on Cam Newton running the ball. He'll do one of those things where he like kind of tucks it like he's gonna run and hit a tight end over the middle. Ian Thomas. Okay, well it's gonna be an absurd number too. That's that, kind of what attracts me to that'll this. That'll be an absurd Ian it, Thomas, <laughs> I will say, will be an, an absolutely absurd number. Like, so. like it, it's the part of what attracts me, this is the prospect of hitting a long shot on this. And again, I will bet the best number. That's what I feel like is giving me an edge, not the fact that I have, uh, like, I figured this game out at all. Because there's lots of other things that can happen, obviously. But yeah, that's a that's a all real right. ugly one. Okay, so we'll wrap it up here. This was our first in person in the new studio. We're still setting up everything. Um, we're doing some testing, recording on the video. So we're gonna pop the video recordings out probably, uh, you know, in the next week or so. Um, you know, as Rob mentioned, maybe we'll fire up a couple of live streams. Um, a little Manning cast. If you want to, you know, watch the game, we can we can do some interaction with everyone and, and just you know see see what takes off. You know, we'll see we'll see what's working and what everyone wants to watch and what we have fun doing is what it's mostly about anyway. So, thanks everyone for listening um, to Circles Off for this episode. I know it was more of a is you know more of a, a, a less formal episode. No guest. We are going to be back with another guest next week, and then um, you know you know we'll fire up the video. So. Enjoy, everyone. Uh, Have a good, uh, good betting this week.